Welcome to episode 8 of Chasing Majors with legendary caddy Steve Williams and myself, golf journalist Evan Priest. In this episode, Steve gives us incredible insight into maybe the greatest ever shot hit during major championship history, Tiger Woods' famous chip-in on the par 3 16th hole during the final round of the epic 2005 Masters. Tiger had missed the green long left and was in a tough spot, but he pitched his ball up from behind the 16th green and let it roll back down the slope before it paused on the edge of the cup and offered Nike the most organic ad it could ever ask for and dropped famously into the hole. Tiger had gone almost three years without a major championship win, but he signalled his return in the most dramatic and Tiger Woods way with a sensational battle against Chris DeMarco. Chasing Majors is proudly brought to you by Bluebet, a true blue Aussie betting company. Alright Steve, uh, welcome to episode 8 of Chasing Majors and this is probably one of my favourite majors of all time. This is the 2005 Masters and it's remembered for so many things, particularly that chip shot on, chip in I should say, on 16 at Augusta National. When I bring up the 2005 Masters, how much of a smile do you crack Steve and what kind of memories come flooding back for you? Yeah, um... It's just you, you, whenever you think of the 2005 Masters, you can only think of the one shot there on 16. I mean, it was just, um, you know, some kind of moment. It was like a Nike commercial, <laughs> one of the best shots at Augusta uh, in the circumstances. So, yeah, it's, it's hard not to put that memory uh, behind you. It's an incredible memory. Yeah, and, and obviously the, we'll, we'll get to the absolute elation of that shot, but... The three years before that 2005 Masters, they were a little bit lean for a Tiger at the majors, considering what he was used to. So in between the 2002 US Open and this 2005 Masters, Tiger Tiger doesn't win a major, and obviously a lot of question marks are asked. He's um, he's going through a swing change with his new coach, Hank Haney. Was it almost impossible to escape conversations about Tiger being in a slump for both yourself and for Tiger? Yeah, look, I mean... In some respect, you know, it's it's a huge compliment when 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 you know someone is said to have a slump and they haven't won a major for a couple of years. You know, these Tiger made it so look so easy for a number of years there, and you know, trust me, we all know they're not easy to win um, when you look at all the players that haven't haven't won majors and the guys that you know are phenomenal players that only have a couple of them or only one. And you know, Tiger got on such a roll there; he's making it look so easy that people's got this, you know sort of thing in the head that he was going to roll onto this breaks jack record very quickly. And he, you know, stalled a little bit, but, you know, there was a swing change in there. There's a marriage in there and there's different things in there. But, um, you know, certainly 2004, I mean, I think it's probably, you know, Tiger only had one top 10 in the, in the four major championships in 2004. You know, that was very uncharacteristic, even though he wasn't playing his best and so forth, he would normally be able to, find something at one of the major championships. But, um, you know, even uh, in 2002, he, he managed to finish second at the PGA, and I think he was like fourth at the Open Championship. But in 2004, um, when the swing changes w- were being made, um, he, he certainly didn't um, 
peak at any of those four major championships. What does it say about someone like Tiger that they're willing to sacrifice a couple of years of their career in the, in the absolute golden years in pursuit of the longer-term goal? And when I ask that, I'll, I'll read you the results. You just mentioned um, 2003, his results in the majors, and we're going in order here. So Masters T15, US Open T20, the Open tied fourth, and the PGA tied 39th. 2004, Masters T22, US Open T17, the Open um, tied for ninth, and the PGA tied for 24th. Those results are absolutely unacceptable by Tiger Woods' standards, but what does it say about someone who is willing to t- cop that on the chin in pursuit of Jack's record? Yeah, look, it says a lot for Tiger that he, first of all, made that decision to think, uh, or made that decision to go with Hank Haiti. You know, and, and it's not a decision that's taken lightly. A lot of thought goes into that and a lot of conversation between two people on their theories on the golf swing and how they believe you know Tiger could get better. And, you, you know, you've got to take your head off. Tiger could have remained with Butch Harmon and, 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 and you don't know what would have happened. Would he, would, he, would, he, would he have marched on better? Would he, you know, not gone? You know, that's an unknown answer to that question. But it does say something about the individual that, that you know, he, even though he was playing unbelievable golf, he always thinks he can get better. And, you know, that's that's just a remarkable uh, mark on this guy, Tiger Woods. And, you know, I, I, I take my hat off him. But, and, you know, and, and it's, you know, he, he proved that, you know, by breaking down his golf swing and trying to get better, um, it did take some time. And probably, in, in looking back, it probably took a bit longer than we all expected. Now, Hank Haney's philosophy was the ball flight and eliminating the big miss. If you can eliminate the six on the card to the double bogey, he knew that Tiger was always going to have a chance come Sunday on a back nine. Um, he changed his swing so that Tiger, he wanted Tiger to win more tournaments by one than less tournaments by 10 shots, if that makes sense. So when you were when you were watching those swing changes that he was implementing from Hank, um, how did that change the way that you caddied and, and what sort of shots that you would have to predict or clubs that you'd have to predict as a caddy? Yeah, I think what Hank, Hank did was he was trying to make... Um, Tiger understand more by the ball flight, by the pattern of the shots, what he was actually doing, so that he would have a complete understanding. And and, and the longer this relationship would go, the less that Tiger would need Hank to be there. And I think that's a, a real, you know, a, a great thing that Hank did. So that you know, at some point in time, Hank believed that you know Tiger would actually be able to own a swing and know what he's doing um, based on the ball flight. Uh, and, and if you, if you can look at the ball flight, and if there was any indifferences to what you were trying to do, you would be able to solve that problem based on all the coaching that you received from Hank. So it was, you know, it was a it was a great move, and, and you know, and you t- like Hank was you know he, he didn't sort of ever had a long term plan. He just wanted to get in there and get Tiger to have a s- more simple golf swing and a better understanding of how all the mechanics work and, and what the ball flight does. Yeah, and you know, and of course. Hank was a great, you know, his his big philosophy was, you know, get rid of that big miss. And Tiger could hit some, you know, every now and again had a big miss. And if you if you could avoid that big miss uh, at any point in time, um, you know, you, you're going to be far better off. I suppose eliminating the big miss made your job easier, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I had to certainly get pretty familiar with that Pythagoras theory to work out a few, you know, distances <laughs> on some of the positions I carried from. So, yeah, that. That driving the golf ball in the fairway and inside the ropes was certainly made a lot more easier to me and, and 
you know, less less paces, less steps I have to take. Now, Steve, I want to bring it back slightly to the 2003 Masters, and you wrote in your your autobiography it was one of the bigger on course disagreements you had with Tiger. But he later said that you know you were absolutely right in calling him out. Can you talk us through you know that third hole tee shot on the Sunday of the 2003 Masters and the disagreement that you had after it? Yeah, well, so you, you go out there in the morning, um, have a look at the. You know, that was one of the holes I always took a look at in the morning, you know, go and see where the tee is positioned. Like on three and four, you always want to know where the tee is. Um, and, and there's a few other holes. Not only are you looking where the pin placements are in the morning, you're actually looking where the tee shots, uh, the tees are. So, you know, is the fourth tee, is it up on the top tee or is it down on the bottom? Where's the pin placement there? So by knowing exactly where the pins are and the tees are for a couple of holes, I can actually tell Tiger, this is exactly how far the shot is on this hole today, the 12th hole included. So, you, you know, on the range, practicing, you can practice those shots. So um, I absolutely they moved the tee up on four and there was no question in my mind that was a driver uh, on four. And, you know, we had a pretty big disagreement. He wanted it an iron then. I just said, there's just no way it's an iron today, Tiger. The bunkers aren't in play. You know, you, you, you've got all that fairway to the left there and, and the, you know, where the pin's located. You know, and he hit a terrible tee shot. Um, and, you know, and he, of course, he was all over me. That it was my fault, this, that, and the other. But, I mean, I'm, you know, any 25 handicapper could have hit that ball in the fairway on that old. And that, you know, he just didn't. <laughs> so, you know, that was a real tense moment, you know, the, the, the when things go real bad and that things get silent and, and you know, when, when approach. So he didn't talk to you from basically the third hole to the ninth hole you wrote in your book? Yeah, we we're going up the ninth hole and I said, well, this, you know, I mean, it's not uncommon for a pro not to talk to his caddy for a period of time. Now, I've had that from every player and every caddy will have, will have experienced that at some point in time. When a player really, really gets high under the collar <laughs> and like really hot, that is a time when, when instead of trying to get them out of the bit or gee them up a bit, you just keep your mouth shut. And I'm well aware of that. And I was told no in certain terms to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> so, but we, when we were coming up to the ninth hole, I, I just said to myself, you know, I, this is just absolutely ridiculous. And I just gave him an absolute mouthful uh, of what I thought about the situation going up the ninth hole. And, that, and um, you know, he, he didn't, didn't say anything. But uh, later on, he said, you know, he, he really um, admired me for, you know, he was, you know, I would call acting like a child, and I gave him a, a no uncertain terms, told him what I thought about it, the way he was acting. And you know, in hindsight, later on, you know, like he said, you know, that was the right play off the club, off the tee. I had a terrible shot, and that was very good of you to, to give him my ear on the ninth hole, so it didn't, you know, steam on for the rest of the day. So that was good. But that, yeah, that was our like in all the years I came from that, it was uh, the only like huge debate we had on the court, not a debate. But, um, yeah. Now, because it's Tiger Woods and scrutiny follows him everywhere, you can't really have those disagreements without somebody noticing them, can you? Because it's Tiger Woods. Yeah, well, as soon as you, interesting you should say that, Evan, because I chose the ninth hole because it's, you know, it, it's where nobody can hear you. But, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, there's, the, 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 there's no gallery on the ninth hole. You know, the, 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 there is, but that because of the, you know, the first hole goes down beside the ninth hole and then the eighth hole is on the other side. The, you know, there's no gallery there in that quite up close, but I guess my body language and maybe I spoke up a bit louder on a couple of words and that couple of phrases and it was overheard by somebody in the media. And of course, when we came in, um, that was a, you know, a topic of conversation amongst the media. Yeah, it's, I mean, did that scrutiny ever get a bit too much for you? Oh, look, I mean, it just came with the territory, but, 
you know, I, I always, you know, just got it out of my head. And that's one of the reasons why when I was living in America, or not sorry, when I was catting in America, I'd always come back to New Zealand. So I could just get myself away from, you know, being around that Tiger Woods sort of circus, if you like, and come back to New Zealand, get my head sorted and go back. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good and bad in a way that golf is so big in America that it's great for you and I and people in the golf industry. But at the same time, it becomes a huge bubble, doesn't it? So it's it's great that you were able to escape escape to New Zealand and sort of get away from that. Now, if we fast forward to the 2004 Masters, um, be honest, was it difficult to see Phil winning the Masters, his first major championship, when Tiger wasn't able to win majors himself? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, Tiger probably admired the fact that he, he managed to shut Phil out um, several times from taking his first major championship. And, and of course, it, you know, look, Phil's an incredible player and it was only a matter of time, but... Um, I think Tiger would have loved to have been in the battle with him uh, to see if he could probably, you know, prevent that from happening. But, um, you know, like, hey, it was only a matter of time now. And, of course, Tiger wasn't in contention there. And, um, you know, that certainly probably eased it up. You know, I think Phil would probably realise that that was a little easier trying to win a major without Tiger being right up there as well. So, but then again, you get something like that happen, that, that only intensifies Tiger's desire to continue rolling on with his dream to, you know, win 18 major championships. So that, you know, at the time he wouldn't have been impressed, but it would have actually been a great thing when he looks back because I know he would have dug deeper um, to keep going. Well, it's really funny you say that because 2004, pretty miserable year in terms of results for Tiger Woods. Phil wins the Masters for his first major championship. Tiger Woods wins two majors and almost a third at the US Open the following year. So whenever whenever Phil has had success, Tiger's been extra motivated to have his own success. Yeah, that, that's where rivalries are good, you know, because yep. it, it drives both parties to work harder and aspire to beat the other player. So, and when they do, they go to, they will go to the next level of hard work. So it's a great, you know, those rivalries they can be healthy, can't they? Absolutely. Chasing Majors is made possible by our friends over at Bluebet. Bluebet is the true blue Aussie betting company which offers plenty of markets in professional golf. Bet on your favourite golfers on various tours around the world, including every tournament on the US PGA Tour, both pre-tournament and in-play bets like first round leaders and three ball betting. There'll also be plenty of markets for the Majors starting with the upcoming Masters in April. One of my favourite bets on the Bluebet app is Tiger to win a major in 2022, and I think we'd all love to see him make another comeback. So head over to bluebet.com.au or download the Bluebet app from the iPhone or Android app stores and gamble responsibly. So if we pick up one of the, the tougher parts of 2004, which wasn't a great year for, for Tiger, at the US Open at Shinnecock Hills, he pulls the car over and he tells you, Steve, I've got dreams of becoming a Navy SEAL. Can you remember the shock? When you heard that from his mouth, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually just—it's it, funny. I, I don't re recall a lot of things, you know, because it's such a long time been on the tour and that. But I can recall every moment of that. We were we were like five hundred yards away from the house that we were starting, and then he just pulled it over, and then that's what he told me. He said, "Look, I—he I, 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 was—he was telling me that he was going to take a break and be a Navy SEAL," and. Um, you know, because it was such a, you know, I just couldn't get over that. And it was such a shock. I just said, yeah, that's, <laughs> I just said oh, that's great, Tiger. You know, you've got to do in life what you want to do. That's that's great. That's what you want to do. But the more I thought about it, it's like, 
that was that was bizarre. There's no two ways about that. Yeah, I suppose you would have been working out like maybe you can still caddy for him in some way. Does he need like a navigator or something? You can, you know... <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, if that's what he wanted, look, look, look you know, it, caddying for Tiger was phenomenal as, as you can imagine that. But you know, at some point, it was always going in, and if it ended, then it would be would have, would have been a happy ending right then. So that, that never, you know, those that never crossed my mind. But you know, I always knew that when, well, I thought when I finished caddying for Tiger, it would certainly be the end of the road. Well, selfishly, we're glad he got those that out of his system, and he ended up coming back to golf. And at the at the end of two thousand and four, Tiger switched to a four hundred and sixty cc driver with a forty five inch graphite shaft, which was sort of considered to be Tiger joining the arms race for distance. And then in January two thousand and five, he makes another change. He switches to a new Nike four piece golf ball. How much adjustment did you, as a caddy, have to make to both those equipment changes? Yeah, well, I mean, look, one thing I. I, I found common amongst very, very good players and Tiger being the best player in the world is that they don't tinker with their equipment a lot. And there's something to be said for that. And Tiger absolutely very seldom tinkered with equipment. He was playing great. He had the small-headed driver. Obviously, most of the players had switched to a bigger-headed driver. They're more forgiving. They go longer. You know, you put a longer shaft in that. But it, it took him a while to, you know, to understand that, you know, he, he needed to move on as well because he, he didn't like changing his equipment. You know, and that, that putter he's used, that Scotty Cameron putter he's used for, you know, for so many years. He, yes, at times he's tried different putters, but he's always gone back to that. And he, he, he didn't like to change. And, and that's one of the reasons why he's such a great player um, is he doesn't tinker with his equipment, particularly during the year. He'd only do that over the off season. Um, so he made the decision, you know, and obviously a lot of practice went in and that. And, and you know, the golf ball was huge, you know, but, you know, for Nike, he's, he's, he's a Nike pro and that. And for Nike to make a golf ball that, that he can play um, with was, was a huge thing. And um, there was a lot of work in R&D that went into making that golf ball. Um, I couldn't ever see or even think that he would change from a Titleist ball to a Nike ball, but he did. Would you have to watch the ball flight? really intently when he was making those changes just to get comfortable with his potentially a new ball flight or a new trajectory or something like that? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, obviously, you know, when you're practicing on the range and that, he's practicing with the ball that he plays with as the pros do. You know, you're not just practicing with any kind of range balls. If you're using Nike, whatever ball it is, or Titleist, those are the balls you're using. So, absolutely. And there was certainly a different ball fight. There was no two ways about it. And then, obviously, when you're out there in practice rounds and that, you've got to watch the, what, how, how does the ball react when it hits the green and all this sort of thing. So, you've got to take a lot into that. And, and a lot of these balls, when he made that change to that ball, it was a better ball in the wind. Uh, it went through the wind better. Um, so you, you, that would have required a fair bit of adjustment for you because you now need to re, like regauge the distance. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And the ball was slightly longer, and and it went better in the wind. So absolutely, you, you've got you know. So you know you 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 have all your notes and that what 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 um what a typical distance goes with a normal shot for each club and that you know and, and so you got to make all those adjustments. Yeah, but um it, you know it's not to the to the average person it's not um it's when you change golf balls it's a, it's a huge thing it, it mightn't seem much like to us normal players it doesn't make a difference we can use anything but for these guys when you change a golf ball it, it takes an enormous amount of time to get adjusted to that ball and the way that ball flies and the way it reacts on the greens and even to the point you know the 
difference in the softness or the hardness and the covers with the putting and that. So there's a, there's a lot more to change in a golf ball than what the eye meets. Another adjustment he was uh, dealing with was was a swing change, a major swing change, and that was under the Dallas-based coach Hank Haney. To, to simplify it, I believe that Hank wanted Tiger more laid off at the top of the backswing, which means pointing more towards the left and pointing a little bit less at the target just so that he could eliminate the big miss. He, he could start hitting a more consistent shot shape. But when did you notice first that Tiger swing changes were really paying off? Was it somewhere between 2004? Was it the end of 2004? Oh, I think, I think um, in, in 2004, sort of mid-year, um, you know, r- right around sort of the Western Open, um, I could st- sort of start seeing that he was getting more comfortable with the swing change when you swing one way for a while and then and then you make a swing change, a lot of times under pressure you revert back to your old swing, and that's what you've got to be careful not to do. Um, and I could see, you know, I'm recalling the Western Open uh, as about the time right in the middle of the year that he got pretty comfortable uh, with the swing, and then he, and then he started producing some really good results. I think he had a couple of seconds. He nearly won the. Um, at Akron there where he loves and that. And then, of course, I think he finished second at the Tour Championship there. And then he backed it up with a couple of wins at the end of the year, the Dunlop Phoenix in Japan and then the, his own tournament out there at Sherwood. So he ended off 2004 very, very confident um, that what he was doing, what he had been practicing so hard had now been put into place. And, you know, 2005 was like, when it rolled around 2005, it was, you know, it's going to be an exciting year. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say, was there, a, was there a fair bit of excitement at the beginning of 2005, knowing that he had capped off 2004 well with a nice little victory there in Japan and some solid results in America as well? Yeah, yeah. And, and, but just, you know, victories, you know, victories are good, but just the fact that under pressure, he was starting to feel that the new swing and, and he was constantly you know, getting a feel that he knew what he was doing with this new swing and it all come to play. So, you know, yeah, like I can remember 2004, heading into 2005, there was a real air of confidence in, in the camp and, and it was going to be an exciting year. You know, of course, the Open Championship at St. Andrews is enough to get Tiger all pumped up. He loves the place. And so that was a good thing. And, and, and then heading back to Augusta in, in some form. Yeah, Steve, you're correct in saying that because he starts 2005 with a victory at, at Torrey Pines, which he loved, and also another victory at Doral. Did you feel he was trending towards becoming a major winner again in 2005? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, like I said, at the end of 2004, you know, the, those last you know few months of 2004, I was confident in 2005 that he was going to get back going. And I, and I just sort of, just the fact that, like I said, that the Open Championship was returning to St. Andrews and somewhere Tiger just loves to play. So you, you know 2005 in his head is going to be a, a year that he's going to put a lot of effort into. Not that he doesn't, but but just because he just loves going to St. Andrews and, and, and he'd love to get that name on the Claret Jug there again. Chasing Majors is proud to partner with X-Blades, who have been internationally renowned for decades for producing world-class football boots and performance apparel for athletes across rugby union, rugby league, Aussie rules and netball. The team at X-Blades are passionate about grassroots and community sport, and that's why they're about to bring their credentials to golf with an exciting golf apparel range launching this year. Watch this space and keep listening to Chasing Majors. To bring up, just before we get into the 2005 Masters, um, 
Jack Nicholas was actually not going to play this tournament, but tragically, his grandson, 17-month-old grandson, drowned in Florida. And to, to take his son Steve's mind off his son's death, he said, why don't we play the Masters once more? This will be our last ever Masters. Can you remember how you know tragic that, that incident was, but also how, how it galvanized the Nicholas family? Yeah, look, I mean, I think that just gave the tournament a little bit more. You know, it was a 2005 Masters, but it had a little bit more meaning to it. You know, Jack's an iconic figure, and the whole world grieved when, you know, that happened. It was just like one of those instances. I mean, everybody thought, well, you know, how, how, how does that happen? You know, we just, it, was, it was such a sad um, and I, I knew all the Nicholas boys pretty well, and and, and Steve's uh, knew him well. So it was, yeah, that was a tough time for everybody. I mean, you know, and it was just tremendous that Jack elected to play at Augusta one more time. And of course, you know, the way he finished off there on Saturday, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just that's just a measure of the man. I mean, he get the best shot of the week there. I mean, you know, I think at the time he was in the mid sixties, and then I mean, he shot like. 75 76 or something like that i mean which is incredible at his age uh and it was you know and and, and you know he wasn't playing a lot of competitive golf so it, it was huge it gave the tournament just an extra dimension and you know that in itself when tiger if there's something added a little extra to the tournament he's going to love that too so you know it was built up to be a great tournament and it was and it was really unusual because every time jack plays the last major championship in those in those years um, you know, generally he wasn't competitive anymore, so he was missing the cut. So you would assume that his last round was going to be the Friday, but because of the weather delays, and we'll get into the weather delays in a minute, but because of the weather delays at this Masters, Jack actually finishes on the ninth hole instead of the 18th hole, and he finishes on Saturday morning instead of Friday. Yeah, yeah. Not many times at Augusta over all the years there that they have the, you know, the, the weather that makes it, you know, the delays are so long that they can't finish on the day that's required but you know it was, a, it was a special moment when Jack played in that tournament and, and and it's great because you know he had his whole family there the the whole Nicholas Gary was there and Jack was there and Jackie Jr and Steve was there and and, and the entire family was there and it's you know it was I think it was, it was like it helped the grieving process I think I think it was a, a great move on on Jack's behalf, or I believe it was one of the boys, I think it might have been one of his sons suggested that he play in the tournament because, um, and it, like I said, it just gave that tournament a little bit of an extra spark. It was awesome. So, Steve, we get into to the first round of the 2005 Masters, and Tiger shoots 74, and there's one shot I want to ask you about. Tiger hit an amazing second shot from the trees on the par 5 13th, but then he putted his eagle attempt off the green and into the water. That must have been one of the more shocking shots that you saw from Tiger in your time together. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, obviously he's struggling in that round, and and and, and all of a sudden, you know, he said a miracle shot of the green. That, and sometimes you're thinking, well, just let's turn this miracle into an eagle. <laughs> Next yeah. But I mean, it was a very, very difficult part. I mean, it's one you'd be very, very happy to two part. There's no two ways about it. But um, you just that, that that just shows you you just slightly misjudge the line and misjudge the speed, and particularly on that green there. I mean, it's you know you get on the wrong side there. It's very hard to two part, and that was the classic example. And you know, I mean, it went from elation to hitting an unbelievable shot of trees and hunting it off the green. So, <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, opening with seventy four there um, certainly wasn't a great start because you know Tigers always knows if you can just shoot around par or just under par, you're in it. So uh, he sort of put himself behind the eight ball there. But but the, having said that, you know, he he wasn't playing poorly. Um, he just didn't shoot a good score the first round. 
with the weather gods are going to get on his side in just a second. So second round Friday, Tiger shoots 66 to roar into contention. Um, can you explain anything from Thursday night? How did he turn that around? Yeah, look, I mean, it just his proximity to the hole was just a little better on Friday, and that, and he drove it in the fairway a little bit better and a little bit longer. Um, and, and when you get off to a good start at Augusta, and that you, you sort of loosen up a little bit, you know, you get over par there at the start, and you start playing a bit tentative. But he, he got off to a good start on Friday, and it just uh, and, and and it was you know all of a sudden he started bombing it off the tee. You know, conditions were soft. It was ideal, and it was playing long. It was very little roll, um, and. Is you know because he, he he was he just got more confident and everything all just clicked and fell into place started putting good and it all, you know all rolled in together. I want to ask you something quickly that's non-Tiger related at, at this Masters for a quick second, and it's the controversy between Phil Mickelson and VJ Singh, two I would say bitter rivals is probably the way to put it. Um, for the first three round, Phil was playing in the group directly, uh, sorry, directly in front of VJ. And then as Phil was leaving the 13th tee on Friday, a tournament a tournament official approached him and asked him to examine the bottom of his spikes. Now, apparently someone had dobbed him in for having spikes that were too long. He was later cleared. The spikes were fine. But Phil and VJ had a bit of a confrontation in the clubhouse afterwards. And basically, Phil wasn't very happy that VJ had dobbed him in for these spikes. He probably saw it was not not a very competitive and not, not in the spirit of the game. Can you remember that confrontation? And just what did you make of the Phil-VJ rivalry? <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, there was a bit of a, you know, I don't think it was just Phil and, and, and VJ because VJ was playing behind Phil. So he's watching exactly where he's walking on every green. So he knows whose fight backs are. He's, he's taking note. Uh, and Phil had had, apparently some spikes that were a couple of millimetres longer than what the normal spikes would be, but they were within the, they were certainly legal. Um, but, you know, VJ being VJ, he doesn't mind a bit of controversy. He's a lone wolf sort of guy. He's going to call out anybody when he can. And But, but um, there, were, there had been some talk about his spikes. The greens were soft. Um, and, and, of course, when the greens are soft, they do lead, tend to leave bigger spike marks. But so VJ was, you know, obviously watching back in the fairway exactly where he was walking. So, you know, it, it was pretty interesting. And I, I, you know, I understand that it was a bit of a heated conversation in the locker room. So it would have been good to be a fly on the wall there because there's no love lost between those two, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I, I know a few reporters. We'd love to uh, love to have been a fly on the wall there. Now, this is where the, the bad weather really intensifies Play gets called at around 4 o'clock, I think, from memory on the Friday afternoon for the second day's play. On Saturday, Tiger played 26 holes, 17 from the second round, and then the front nine of round three. He had 12 birdies in those 26 holes. Could you say something magical was happening, Steve? And also, what the friggin' hell did he have for breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. look, you know, the conditions were soft. There was no wind. You know, it's absolutely ideal scoring conditions. And he was driving it, you know, he was absolutely bombing it off the tee. Um, and, and it just becomes target golf, you know. And the the length that he was hitting off the tee, he was hitting, you know, some short irons and then the ball was just stopping on the greens. You know, when the, when the course gets hard and fast there, it is, it is one of the most testing golf courses in the world. But when Augusta is soft like it was there and even – when they have this underground heating system that they got there, um, that hadn't come to affect them, but in later years they could dry the course out. But it, this was as wet as I could remember it there, and, and it just played right into his hands. Now, and, and he got when Tiger gets confident, as he was doing there, 
he just he just rolls on with it, gets more and more confident, and, and gets that putter rolling. So it was some pretty like twelve birdies and twenty six holes as Gus is pretty special. When Tiger gets on a roll like that, how do you keep him positive, and and what do you say? What's your role as a caddy to keep him sustain that momentum? Yeah, well, look, when when a guy's swinging great, uh, and he's he's in the groove, you, you know, you, you adjust. You know, when you say to somebody, "This is where I think you should hit it." You know, this is the area in the green you want to hit it. Well, you, and you know when a guy's really confident and swing good, a lot of the times you don't play the safety shot. You go right at it or you, you put it right in the position where it might be, you know, it might be on the on the side you don't want to be, but it's where the best putt comes from, knowing that, you know, if you were to miss it on that side, you got no sort of shot for the next shot there. But, you know, it's just you read all that into it. But when a guy gets confident like that, you've got to take advantage sometimes like that. You know, and, and Augusta, if, if you're in, if you are confident and you're hitting the ball exactly where you want to be every time, that's why you can make a lot of birdies because a lot of these pins that you sometimes don't fire at, you fire away from to leave yourself an easy putt. But a lot of them are pins that if you fire at, you can get the ball very close. The penalty for missing it is very great. But if you can get it in that area around the pin where a lot of the times it feeds back to the hole, you can make a lot of birdies. And that's exactly what happened there. So when Tiger was swinging it well and the conditions were soft, you would encourage him to go up more flags. Absolutely, yeah, because when you know when he's got the ball, you know, as the saying goes, got the ball on the string. Well, that's when you take advantage of it. You know, see how many birdies you can make, and, and you know, see what sort of position you can get yourself for the final round on Sunday. Yeah. In its fifty-first year of publication, Australian Golf Digest is the oldest golf media brand in Australia, reaching over eight hundred and fifty thousand golfers every month. Australian Golf Digest provides the best written and video news in golf, both locally and internationally. Golf fans can get full access to the magazine through the Digital Pass, which starts from just $3.33 per month and also includes instruction, golf course and golf travel content. Head over to australiangolfdigest.com.au or check them out on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. So Steve, Tiger continues his streak of birdies on Sunday morning, four straight birdies, to make it seven birdies in a row going back to Saturday. Did he seem kind of possessed or inspired to you? Yeah, like, you know, all of a sudden he he realised the swing's good, the putting's back, he's driving at miles, and this is a great opportunity to get back on the major winning board. And I I really could sense that because, you know, like a – it's, it's a compliment, like I mentioned before, you know, to, to say to somebody, you, you know, Tiger Woods in a major slump here. You know, no other player would have ever had that said about them. Perhaps Jack did at one point there when he went a few years without winning one, but I don't think anyone else would have had that. You know, so that's a compliment. But um, when he sensed that this is a time that I could break, you know, you know, and he, he reads a lot of golf and he knows what's going on there. So, yeah, absolutely. I could, I could sense that he could sense that, this is a time that I can put that all behind me. I can validate my change in coaching and, and then I can get rock and rolling here again. Now, just before we get into the final round, I want to ask you a random one. Was it weird to see Tiger wearing a black shirt on Sunday? Because, of course, he had to finish the last nine from the third round on Sunday morning. So, therefore, he wasn't wearing the famous red and black yet? <laughs> oh, I, 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 I love that because I said to him, well, you got all New Zealand colours on today. That, that, that's right up for me. So <laughs> I remember saying that to him. He said, oh, yeah, you and your all blacks. <laughs> you and your rugby. Oh, that's heaps good. Okay, so Steve, Tiger takes the 54-hole lead at 11 under par with Chris DeMarco at 8 under par, one of his great rivals, Chris DeMarco. 
Tiger had successfully converted all eight 54-hole leads that he had held at the majors before this. What made Tiger such a great front runner, Steve? In your words? Well, because when Tiger was one ahead, his goal was now to get two ahead. When he was two ahead, to get three ahead, four. Ahead, you know, he he didn't ever sit on the lead and play conservatively. He always, if he had, like I said, if he was leading by one, he'd want to lead by two. If he lead by two, he'd want to lead by three. So he always kept pressing. Um, he was never there was never too a lead that was great enough for him. So that you know, and also like he, he just had, he's one of those remarkable athletes that performs his best when the pressure is on the most. And there are only you know there's only a handful of guys in any kind of sport that that can do that. They play their absolute best when it means the most. And he's one of those fortunate guys that all the practice he does comes out on Sunday. And he he, he can play his stroke average on Sunday is better than it is on Thursday. And that's remarkable. Of all the players that you've ever, ever caddied for or even just come across and got to know, do you know anyone like Tiger that didn't back off from a lead? They wanted to increase it because it's quite it's almost unnatural as a human being to to want to go even further into the lead. Most of us would back off, get defensive and try and hold on to it as opposed to growing it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I didn't certainly come across anybody like that in my time and that. But, you know, it's a great philosophy because, you know, the more you the more you're leading, you know, you, the, 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 the more... You know, there's, there's some error, some room for error, I suppose, but not that, that you ever want to have any error, but you just never know what's going to happen. But it's a great mindset. It was, you know, it's an incredible mindset, very, which very few people have had. Yeah, absolutely. So, Steve, I want to talk about uh, the ninth hole. When Chris DeMarco hit a four iron into the green there, Tiger hit a pitching wedge. So just the differences in clubs and distances, the two of them... Um, had into those greens on Sunday was incredible, and they still had an amazing battle. It was clearly going to be a different kind of fight, wasn't it? The way that they attacked the golf course. Yeah, look, I mean that shot the Marco had. I, I, that was an unbelievable shot. You know, he's hitting a four, and he was in the right rough to that front left pin. I mean, that was an unbelievably good shot there. I mean, when you stand there, you know, I'm I'm thinking it'd be a hell of a shot to get it on the right tier here. He's got to come across that bunker. Uh, he's coming out of the rough and he's hitting a four iron. And I mean, it's, you know, that green's not receptive to a four iron. He had an unbelievable shot. He landed it just, just over that bunker on the right tier. And I mean, it was an incredible shot. I mean, he, he was, he was not going to back down and, and, and that, that, that's Chris DeMarco. He, he's not going to back down. And that, that, that was an amazing shot. And, you know, both of them walked off there with the three, but that just showed you how great Tiger uh, sorry, how great Chris was playing. Like, there's a number of holes out there, not just the ninth hole, where, where, where there was, you know, a massive difference. You know, that's a four iron. One guy's at the four iron and one guy's a wedge. So you've got two great players there. That's a big difference in distance. Playing different golf courses, but having a great battle. So after you get through Amen Corner, Chris DeMarco birdies 14 to reduce Tiger's lead to just one. Did it feel like it was basically match play from here? And if so, how did Tiger's demeanor change? Yeah, look, it, 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 sometimes it does become match play because the guys that are um, trailing Chris and Tiger, you know, that, that, they're several shots behind. So they, that, that, they're eliminated from the tournament. By this time, you, you know, you're onto the 14th hole. The guys, there's a two-horse race. So, but when, when, so when it does get down to that and there are only two players left that can win the tournament, yes, it does become match play. Um, and, and, and then you, you react to what the other guy's doing. So that's exactly how it pans out. And did you sense that Tiger almost changed in the way that he approached those last few holes, knowing it was basically mono-e-mono? Like, did, he, did his 
demeanor change? No, 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 no. You know, Tigers, when it comes to major championship covers, his demeanor didn't change from you know the, the moment he stepped on the first tee to the moment he walked off the 72nd hole. His demeanor is just to win at all costs. And, and I think the 15th hole, so the next hole, the par 5 15th at Augusta, it, it actually kind of, it was a snapshot of how different this battle was. It was two players playing basically at different golf courses from different parts of the property. But did you find, so So Chris DeMarco lays up from 220 yards on the 15th hole. At the time, did you find that a little bit odd? Yeah, I mean, you, you get so much into what you're doing. Uh, and, and, you know, like when you're getting the 15th hole is one of the great golf holes of the world. And you have to get the club selection right. There is just no two. So I actually wasn't paying much attention uh, to what Chris was doing. But you know, when I walked past his ball and that and, and everything, I just assumed that he was going to be going for the green. And then I, you know, I look back and I see he's laying up. But then, of course, afterwards, you know, he said he had a quite a downhill lie, and I, and I and I get that because off a downhill lie, he had a two iron to the green. And once again, he's got two iron. Tiger's got eight iron. It's the same, <laughs> the same as a ninth hole. There's six clubs difference in between. And he obviously felt with a two-iron that he couldn't get the height on it. Um, you know, if he didn't, you know, a two-iron off a downhill lie, there's not an easy shot. And, I, you know, like I said, I was so into what Tiger was doing and making sure we had to hit the right club there because that's one hole where, you know, obviously if you come up short and then you're water, in the water and if you come up long, you're not going to make four most of the time. And, and um, so I wasn't really paying much attention to what Chris did. So, yeah. At the time, yes, I thought it was a bit surprisingly laid up. But then I heard afterwards uh, in his interview that he said that he was on a downhill line. And I get that, you know, two on off a downhill line into that green. Wise decision. He still made birdie. And it just goes to show how he was going to find a way to get get it done and stick it to Tiger. Now, Steve, we move on to the famous, the, the chip in on 16 at Augusta National, the par three. It's probably the greatest shot hit in the history of golf. It's certainly the greatest shot ever hit at the Masters. Um, firstly, I read in your book that you had to ask Tiger what was over beyond the 16th green because you had no clue. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it was interesting. If I just take you back to the tee shot there, it's amazing how your emotions, you know, the ball's only in the air for a few seconds and that, and the ball struck and you think, oh, no. The first thing's like, oh, my God. I went, oh, God, Tiger. And I'm thinking <laughs> that that's in the bunker, then I'm thinking that's in the water. And I thought, oh, that's over the green. You know, so in, in the space of a few seconds, you're like, it's in the bunker. Oh no, it's in the water. You know, that, you know, and then your mind's doing backflips. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, then all, all, all he wants to know is what's over there, Steve. What's over there, Steve? I said, I don't know. I've never been over there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I always one thing I always learned from Jack Nicholas, and I watched Jack so much, and, and and asked him a lot of questions that Jack would never ever hit any chip shots from a position that he was never going to hit the ball. And like I often see players at Augusta on the 12th hole, they go and th throw a few balls down in the drop area in case they hit one in the water and that. Well, Jack would never do that. And I would tie because I'm never going to hit it in the water, so I'm not going to practice that shot. And it's like they are on the left-hand side of 16. I don't know what's over there because you never hit it over there. Like that pin on Saturday, oh, sorry, on Sunday, that pin, you know, the famous pin that's yep. always on, you know, somewhere. Front, right, yeah, back left, yep. Middle to back left there. Um, you, you know, you hit it in the shelf on the right and it feeds down to the green there. So, you know, Tiger's ball was a little bit left of the pin, but like way left of where he was aiming. Um, <laughs> so, um, so when was your, when was the first time that you caddied at Augusta National and who was it for? Um, first time I caddied at Augusta National was in 1987 for Greg. So 
yeah, that's a few years ago. Yeah, so by this stage, you've caddied at 18 straight Masters and you've never seen what's over the back there left. So w- once you get up to the ball, w- what are you thinking once you get up? You assess the lie, you assess the shot. What are you thinking? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, you know, it's a tense situation here. Chris DeMarco said a very good shot, left it perfectly under the hole and that got a, you know, a very good look at a two. And it's a putt you probably think he's going to make because, you know, he's ha- he would have had that putt a number of times. It's a putt that they all practice um, in, in practice days. So, you know, uh, when you get there, you know, it's a very, very difficult shot the Tigers got. And what you what don't want to do is get the ball coming back. He's got obviously there's only one way to play that shot, and he's got to play it left. But it can't get to a point where he gets too much speed on it and it runs back down onto the fringe. And that and, and he, you know, obviously he took some time to have a look at the shot and that. And he and he said to me, Did you see that ball mark up there, Steve? Well, you always used to call me Stevie. <laughs> yeah. He said, what do you think if I land on that ball mark there? It should only get, you know, halfway up that hill. If I can get it with a little bit of spin on it and only go halfway up the hill, it should be, if it come down, it should have enough, you know, it shouldn't be going that far where where it could roll off the fringe. And and amazingly, when he hit the shot, it landed right on that ball mark. I mean, it was incredible. And the rest was history. (laughs) It was just absolute wizardry, wasn't it? Um, Sorry to put you on the spot here. Can you remember what wedge it was, what loft? Yeah, it was a 60, yeah. 60, yep. So when when he needed to hit a spot with a 60 and he needed to... Obviously, it came out pretty low, that shot, didn't it? He needed to come out low and skip a little bit. What would he do to sort of adjust himself to the conditions with that 60-degree wedge? Yeah, I mean, you know, you just put the ball back in your stance a little bit and that hit down on it, make sure you get contact with the ball cleanly and a bit of spin on it because it, was, it, was a, it wasn't a great line, a slight downhill line, so, you know, the lofted shot. But then, the, you know, the lofted shot's got no spin on it. Uh, needed to have a bit of spin, so when it when it came to a stop on the hill, which it, you know you saw when it came into the hill, it, it sort of stopped a little bit. Then it started its track back down towards the hole, and that. So I mean, it was a you know under pressure. That's a remark, you know, a remarkable shot. To, you know, under pressure to be able to you know spin the ball like that, get some check on it, and like I said, it was just you know it was unbelievable. He could stand there for the rest of his life and never do that again. Um, well, that that makes me want to ask you: Did you did he ever try it again when you went back to Augusta National? No, because never going to hit it over there again. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to go and try it because that if you you sort of get in that mindset that you might hit it there. So no, that's you don't go and try that shot because you're not going to hit it there. But I, I, he actually for good laughs, I think he he, he probably should have gone and see see what he can do. But uh, yeah, just see if he could do it again. Yeah. yeah. And just before we move on, was there any discussion on that shot, or did he know exactly the type of shot he was going to hit as soon as he assessed the lie? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, when you like I said, when you're caring with somebody, you get a, you know, you get you get an absolute sense of what they do every single time, and that and and there was no, there was only one shot there, and that was that shot, and it was just, you know, I mean, it was hit perfect and everything, but I mean, yeah, there's a lot of luck for it to go in, but I mean, it was, um, yeah, it was pandemonium when that went in. And the celebration, worst high five in the history of golf? Yeah, yeah, no, I can own up to that. <laughs> Certainly wasn't the worst. <laughs> I mean, it was just, you know, that, like I said, you know, go back two or three minutes ago when, you, when you're sitting off the tee and I'm thinking, oh, no, he's just hit this in the water. I mean, can't, Tiger, you just can't do that in this situation. And then I think, oh, no, that's not in the water. It's, it's over the green. What's over there? I have no idea. And going down, he said, Steve, what's over there? What's over there? I don't know, Tiger. I've never been there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Steve, people forget that Tiger actually bogeyed the next two holes because we get so obsessed with that shot, they forget that he went bogey 17, bogey 18. Why do you think he came undone a little bit? Yeah, that, that, that was interesting because, you know, I, I think 
when he chipped the ball in there, um, you know, he's two shots up with two holes to go. Um, I think you're probably thinking, well, you know, you know, all I've got to do is just finish this off, you know, not make a mistake on the last two holes, and and, I, and I've got it. And uncharacteristically, like that's a poor shot on 16, and then he made a very poor tee shot on 17. I mean, and then he made a very poor second shot on 18. So three of his last four shots, uh, not counting the sort of wedge out from the right of the 17th, like proper shots were, were not very good shots. So very uncharacteristic. And, you know, and, and this is the first time under the most immense heat that the new swings in play. You know, like this is this is Augusta. This is his first chance to win a major championship in some time. And it's, a, you know, it's the first major that, that he's got the opportunity to win with Hank Haney as his coach and everything's on the line. And he made some poor swings. So, you know, that was something that needed to be reviewed afterwards. I need to ask you because you felt the same pressure. You didn't. You didn't feel it for very long in 1999 when you wanted to get that first major for Tiger. What did Hank say about the pressure of him delivering a first major for Tiger? Because it, it took a little bit longer than what you took to to help Tiger get oh, that first major. Oh, ab- absolutely! Like Tiger, everything was about winning major championships, and, and I became very friendly with Hank. And he, you know, he, he certainly was feeling that pressure too because that's what it's all about. But he was very confident that the swing changes that they were making at some point were going to take place and see him solidify what he was trying to do. But like I said, you know, here's the first time as Hank had taken over as coach uh, with a chance to win a major championship. And there were some very poor shots at the very end there, uncharacteristic of Tiger. Um, And so, you know, obviously that was going to be reviewed. Like I said, that's going to be reviewed afterwards. But then, you know, obviously he turned it around and hit the two best shots that he'd hit back to back all day. Uh, on the 18th hole so uh, was Hank there that week uh, Hank was there early in the week yep yeah so I uh, so, so he's flown back to Dallas I can imagine how bloody nervous he would have been the last two holes in in the playoff yeah yeah well I mean after the drink after the shot on 16 I think you could have gone up to the fridge and grabbed a beer <laughs> just to <laughs> back and relax that's all good now but geez that, that beer would have been chucked away quickly yeah very quickly so Steve we go into a playoff um, and this is the first year that Augusta starts the playoff on the 18th hole because they used to start the playoff on the 10th hole. And that's whether that play, plays into this, whether Tiger would have won it anyway, we, we don't know. But So Tiger and Chris DeMarco, they, they, they're tied after regulation at 12 under par. Tiger said multiple times to reporters that week that Chris DeMarco does not back down. And it reminds me of the same thing he said to you about Bob May during the 2000 PGA Championship. This guy does not back down. How much respect did you and Tiger have for DeMarco's fighting spirit? Oh yeah, I mean he, he like when you think where he was playing from, he shot sixty eight on Sunday, and you think where he was playing from to shoot sixty eight is an absolute phenomenal round where he was playing from. Given the pressure, he's never won a major championship, and and he's a you know he, he's one of those guys who just doesn't back down. And I said to Tiger once he'd scored, signed his scorecard, and done all the stuff you needed to do, and we're heading down to the playoff uh, to start on that eighteen. But as we we're going down there, I said Tiger, you're, you're the number one player in the world. You're playing against Chris DeMarco. You show him who's number one and show me who's number one. That's, that's my exact words to him. And, um, yeah, no, he hit two cracking shots there. Just quickly, give me your top three pep talks to Tiger Woods. Um, top three pep talks? Well, that would have been one of them for sure. Um, and then um, when we were at the uh, PJ with Bob May, um and it's going to be a playoff. It's sort of the same thing there. You know, I said, hey, look, you, you've got three holes here to show this guy why you're number one. Uh, 
you know, it's good. It's good to remind Tiger say something like that. Um, that would be two. Um, yeah, that, that, I, I don't can't, can't think of a third. Those two are the first that, two that come to memory, and ones that were, you know, yeah, they're pretty pretty special. Two pretty special pep talks. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the other one, uh, not, not so much a pep talk, but um, when Rocco Mediate fronted up on the Monday at Tory Pines dressed in red and black, um, which was very – we couldn't both believe that. But um, I remember saying to Tiger, well, he's got red and black on, you've got red and black. You know, you show him who who Superman is. So Yeah. Oh, that's I, pretty special. I, I, yeah, that was special. That'd be, not, that'd be the top three there for sure. Oh, well, that, that's a great top three. Sorry to digress there a little bit, but I was just just wondering how, how do you fire up Tiger Woods? So – Steve, Tiger put Chris away pretty quickly. Hit two great shots. Three wood, I believe, uh, yeah, off the tee. Yeah, three wood, eight on. Yeah, and then yep. the eight on, you know, was not too dissimilar distance and not too dissimilar shots to the eight on that he had in the regulation play. And, you know, if you watch the two swings, they were just two completely different swings. So that was a real confidence booster. And, you know, of course, every chance you, you play in a major, every chance you get to win, you want to take that one, obviously. Um, and to finish off, you know, with a great shot, and of course, you know, he buried the putt, which was, um, you know, that's tight, that's vintage Tiger Woods. But again, if you go back to the seventy-second hole, Evan, um, that was one of the few times that Tiger had a putt on the eighteenth to either win or tie that he didn't make, and the whole time I came from that was a significant. Yeah, yeah he every time he came to the eighteenth, it's like he just, you know, you know, but he he. he you know, like he hit a poor second shot and a poor putt, which was just not like him under that circumstances. Yeah, I remember you said to me one time that if you could bet your life on anything, it's that Tiger Woods would make a putt that he needed to make on the 72nd hole. And that was just one of the times that he, you know, he seemed, he didn't seem bulletproof. No, no. But, um, you know, that's when you when you walk away from that tournament and, and you've picked up the, the victory, given that you know you've hit some poor shots down the stretch there, but then you finish off with two of your best shots you got over the whole week and then you bury the putt. You know, that, that that's huge for your confidence. And then, you know, after making a few poor swings, um, you know, it would have been wouldn't have it wouldn't have been any shock if he had made another bad swing in the playoff, um, considering the the heats even more. But um, yeah, that was a significant gain uh, in the new swing change, you know, those two last shots. So he hits the eight iron straight over the hole, uh, about an 18-foot downhill putt. Do you remember the read? It, it looked like it was sort of straight in there and he rammed it in there a little bit. Do you, what, what do you remember about that winning putt? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it's a putt that you – when you played like a, the practice rounds, that, that we always know with that flag on, 11 on, 4 from the left, and then you, you practice that putt a lot. You know, you, And it's one of those putts, you, you know, even if you, if you haven't got it, you're watching on TV all the time. You know it's right to left, about a cup out. You know, it's a putt you know – you almost can just feel it in there because you've seen if you you've seen it a lot on TV. It's a, it's it's a putt that you're always going to have, you know, because on 18 there when the flag's there, obviously you always make sure you fly it to the flag or into the ridge behind, so it comes back down exactly what you you know you do. The worst if you th- you know Chris DeMarco, he came up short there twice on 18, um, but okay, the commentators might say, oh, it's just short, but realistically, it's a full club short because you've got that whole backstop behind it, so that, that, that you know you. you that, that was significantly short. So he holds the putt. Obviously, a huge celebration after a tough week. He gives you a massive hug, and he said something to you in your ear, and you nodded. Do you remember what he said? 
you know, there's, he's had a lot of great wins, obviously, and a lot of great moments and that. But that that one meant a lot to Tiger because, it, you know, like I said, it, it got that comp that topic of conversation about being in a slump in major championships, and why would you tip swing, you know, change swing coaches with the success you've had? So you know, that, that cleared two pathways that were, that have been spoken a lot about. So he was thrilled to break that you know, so, so-called drought and, and, and you know, it's, like I said, with the Open Championship being at St Andrews coming up that summer, you know, it was going to be a great summer to look forward to. And he was pretty emotional in his winning speech. His father, Earl, um, he's, he's not well. His health isn't great. He's managed to get himself to Augusta, but he hasn't been able to come up to the course. So he's watching in his hotel room. Tiger gets very emotional in his winning speech and he said he couldn't wait to give his dad a big bear hug. How much do you think Earl's health was sort of inspiring Tiger that week? Yeah, look, I mean... You know, like Tiger won there in 1997 and that. And, of course, it was a famous hug between him and the son and father, which is awesome. And subsequently, each year that Tiger had won there, that same thing had happened. And, of course, it, it wasn't going to be happening this year because although Earl had made the trip from California uh, to Augusta, he wasn't well enough to come to the course on that Sunday. And, and, and you know, Tiger, he, you, know, it's a, you know, every child has a special bond with their father but just the fact that you know Earl has such a great eye for the golf swing and um, all the little tips like when Tiger you know he's always had a coach obviously but Earl would watch every shot every round that Tiger played on TV and you know he could he could call Tiger afterwards and say hey you know your right foot's just towed in a little bit or your right you know just little things that he'd noticed from day one when Tiger put a golf club in his hands he could correct some little things that you know not even Tiger or his coach or myself could see you know brilliant eye for that kind of thing Earl had. In its 51st year of publication Australian Golf Digest is the oldest golf media brand in Australia, reaching over 850,000 golfers every month. Australian Golf Digest provides the best written and video news in golf, both locally and internationally. Golf fans can get full access to the magazine through the Digital Pass, which starts from just $3.33 per month and also includes instruction, golf course and golf travel content. Head over to australiangolfdigest.com.au or check them out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Yeah, it was probably the most one of the most emotional um, winning speeches he's ever delivered in his major championship career. So uh, I just I just want to on a lighter note, I want to I want to point out the fact that Phil, being the defending champion of the Masters, had to put the green jacket on Tiger. Be honest, did Tiger get extra satisfaction knowing that Phil was putting the green jacket on him? Hundred <laughs> percent. Absolutely, one hundred percent. He even mentioned that he just loved the fact that he was going to go up there. And, and, and it's a rivalry, and it's a great rivalry, but particularly that Phil won in 2004 and, and Tiger wasn't in good enough form to be able to be a part of that battle, which, you know, that, that didn't, he didn't like that. But then to come back the next year and have Phil put that jacket on him, that was just extra motivation. No two ways about that. Yeah, it was, it was a moment 12 months in the making, and I bet you Tiger was thinking about it for that entire 12-month period. So... <laughs> Steve, it's not long until the next major. It's only uh, a couple of months away from, from this major because Tiger did something incredible at the Open at St. Andrews, the 2005 Open at St. Andrews. And I'm looking forward to the next episode, so I'll see you then, Steve. Righto, Evan. Thank you, buddy.
Chasing Majors is proudly brought to you by Bluebet, a true blue Aussie betting company.